Why don't we pray? We're going to dive right in today. Jesus, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for how good you are, God. Even in the face of difficulties, God, we confess the truth that you are good, you are kind. We thank you so much for these things. God, would you be with us now as we listen to your words? We pray this all in your name. Amen. Perhaps if you're like me, you watched Hamilton when it came out and it became your whole personality <laughs> for a while. I, and I was, I was kind of a late bloomer to, to Hamilton. I actually only watched it this past summer, and which is like pretty late. It's because it came out in when? I don't even know. Does it even say on there? I'm forgetting. It came out in like 2016, right? Or 70? Somewhere in there. So a few, a few years back. So I, I was a bit of a late bloomer with Hamilton, but upon watching it, I, I found that it completely overtook my life. It tells the story of Alexander Hamilton, one of the uh, founding fathers of the United States, and it's incredible. If you have not seen it, worth a watch. Um, but I, to be honest, I've been singing the songs for like six months. <laughs> I, it's just been completely uh, kind of taken over my life, mainly because it, it, it tells such a powerful story of Alexander Hamilton's, his upbringing, his rise to prominence, and then his eventual ending. Um, but our sermon today does not begin with speaking about Alexander Hamilton. No, rather, we are speaking today about a one Major General Charles Lee. Now, Charles Lee is a significant figure because he shows up in the musical of Hamilton. And in Hamilton, in the musical, he's just sort of like a silly uh, a character. They, they, they sort of make fun of him. There's a couple of lines in there. But essentially, he, he shows up early on in the, the American Revolutionary War, and he's one of George Washington's main generals, and the battle that he's most no known for is the Battle of Monmouth. Now, at the Battle of Monmouth, the American soldiers, they outnumbered the British, and they were set to actually score a decisive victory, and they actually ended up almost losing the field. George Washington had put General Charles Lee in charge of this battle, and Charles had actually choked under pressure. It is reported that he did not have faith that the Continental Army could defeat the British. And in the heat of the moment, he orders a retreat, costing the American soldiers a lot of casualties. And so he goes down in history as sort of one that retreated in the face of adversity. As the story goes, General Washington, he rides out you know, trying to salvage the battlefield and he, he wrenches command from Charles Lee and gives it away to Lafayette, another well-known uh, Revolutionary War figure. And um, they actually end up going to score, just barely win the Battle of Monmouth. But it is a close call because of General Charles Lee's retreat order. Well, General Charles Lee, it reminds me, the story of General Charles Lee reminds me of the powerful idea of the enemy. There is this powerful concept of the enemy. And what I, what I mean by this is oftentimes throughout life, we find ourselves in moments where we see the enemy over there and the enemy can often be very fearful can often cause us to have fear in our lives as we look out and we see the enemy. Now, I want to enter our, our Bible story today with a story of someone who saw an enemy and was afraid, Joshua. Our story begins in Joshua 1.9. I want to read this verse for you. It says, have I not commanded you, this is God speaking, 
to Joshua, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now we enter Joshua's story at a bit of a turning point. Moses has died and God has renewed his covenant with Joshua saying, just as I promised to my servant Moses, so I promise to you, I will be with you. It's a major turning point in the story of Israel because up until this point, Moses has been the leader. This is the same Moses who encountered God at the burning bush. This is the same Moses who led the people of Israel through the Red Sea and out of slavery, bondage. This is the same Moses, the leader, who met God on Mount Sinai, who actually saw God. Pretty big shoes to fill. And now Moses is gone. We can all kind of, you know, imagine how that probably feels, right? I, I, I could kind of guess the responsibility would feel massive, overwhelming, the imposter syndrome, right? Any of you, some of you are familiar with that. I've had conversations with a couple of you about imposter syndrome. It's real. I felt it in my life. Um, this, this feeling that, you know, I'm, I've, pl- I've been placed in this position, but I don't feel qualified to do it. We can imagine Joshua struggling with this and perhaps the fear. What if I get it wrong? What if I mess it up? What if I can't lead like Moses did? Right. I'm picturing his first meeting with uh, the, uh, you know, the elders and they're, they're meeting in a tent and, you know, he gathers them all together and maybe he struggles to find his voice and the elders just look at each other like, yo, who's this clown? Like, this is not Moses. <laughs> this is not the man who led us out of captivity. This is not the man who led us across the Red Sea while Pharaoh was on our heels. Who is this guy? Who's this kid who thinks he can be the leader? And yet God encounters Joshua and says, I will be your God too. And then he speaks a command over his life. He says, be strong and courageous. Do do not be frightened or dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This word command is a powerful word in the Hebrew because it's actually a military term. And so God speaks this word over Joshua. He says, as your commanding officer, in a sense, here's my orders to you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed because I'm with you. And let's remember this because this command will actually turn out to be a theme throughout Joshua's life. And so Joshua leads. He carries forward. He leads the people across the the Jordan River, an echo of the Red Sea. But then they get to Jericho, and it at least seems to be an impregnable obstacle, something impossible to overcome. And I can't help but think that life is a lot like this at times, right? For those of us who've been following Jesus for any length of time, uh, you know, Many of us, we've seen God show up in powerful ways, in real ways, right? We've, we've, we've seen him often do impossible things or carrying us through dark times. But as life goes on, inevitably, we, uh, we end up at something new, some new enemy that at least appears to be impossible to overcome. The power of the enemy. But what's interesting to me is that in that place is where God encounters Joshua. And here's what he says. He says this in chapter 5. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come 
What a word. I think it speaks two important things to us. This commander, he's not what we would expect in this story, right? He's not what we would expect. Following this story, right, because God has spoken to Moses and, and to Joshua saying, I'm, I'm taking you to a place. I'm taking you to a land. I'm going to lead you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defeat your enemies for you. And yet at this moment where it seems like there's this impossible obstacle, the commander of the Lord's army armies shows up and he doesn't say, hey, you're going to defeat them for sure. Hey, or at least the first thing he doesn't, he, the first thing he says isn't, hey, you're going to defeat them for sure. Hey, I'm with you. Hey, my power is overwhelming. Hey, you're going to destroy them. No, rather he says, I'm not for neither you nor your enemy which is a little interesting, a little surprising. It, it shows us, number one, two things. Number one, God is not beholden to the lines that we draw between us and them. And I think this can actually be initially confusing, right? Because as I mentioned, wasn't it God who said to take Jericho? Was it not God who said to take the land from these people? And later in the story of Joshua, and we see throughout a little, you know, much of the Old Testament, was it not God who commands the people of Israel to go and defeat their enemies completely, sometimes killing whole groups of people? There's some challenging texts in here. So we need to acknowledge, number one, that these are deeply challenging stories that we plan to wrestle with. Maybe not today, but we'll, we'll wrestle, continue. We'll, we'll continue to wrestle as we go on. And two, though God tells Joshua to take Jericho, this does not automatically mean that they are the enemy and Israel are the good guys. God has called Joshua to take Jericho, yes, but not for any human agenda, but rather for his purpose, because he has a plan of salvation for all people that he's trying to, to get to. Now, this is really important for us to remember, uh, friends. Um, in a world where it's all too easy for us to draw lines in the sand, to point over there at those people and say, oh, those are the enemies. We're the good guys. We're the main character. God says, no. Actually, no. I think this is really important for us, especially in the times that we're in currently, because as soon as we see a group or a person or people or a type of person or a nation or a country as the enemy, Almost always, almost always, we look throughout history, almost always we end up dehumanizing them. We forget that they're human, they bleed the same blood, they have mothers and they have children and favorite music and they eat desserts and they cry and they laugh. They're loved by God. So let us not be hasty then in our anger, in our hurt, in our fear, perhaps even justified, to draw lines and call someone an enemy, to say you're the villain in the story. Let us not be so hasty in our relationships between one another to villainize the other person. Let us not be so hasty in our wars, in rumors of wars, to see the other side as only the enemy, because God does not. This is challenging for us, because humans, all too often, it seems as though we are people of lines. We are people of insiders and outsiders, us and them. But to God, he says, neither. I'm for all people. So that's the first thing. God is not beholden to the lines that we draw between us and them. And the second, God will keep his promise to be present. 
I love the second part of what the commander of the Lord's army says. He says, as the commander of the Lord's armies, I have now come. I love that. It's so simple, so simplistic. As if to say, remember at the beginning, Joshua, at the very beginning of your story, when I said, do not fear because I will be with you. Well, here I am. Remember when I promised that I would go before you. Well, here I am. This is difficult for us, right? Because I think often at our hardest moments, God tends to not appear physically like the commander of the Lord's armies, right? Often when we're struggling the most, we're crying out to God, often he doesn't always appear to us in an extremely tangible way and say, hey, don't remember, it's okay, it'll be all right. It's challenging for us. We, we struggle with that dissonance. But I've been encouraged by something recently. It's actually something that Jesus said. You guys remember uh, when he's about to leave and he says, it's actually better that I leave you because then I can send the spirit, right? He says this in John chapter 16. It's actually better that I leave you because then the spirit can come. This is why often you'll hear me pray, God, your presence is a promise. Your presence is a promise. You're here. You're always here. We don't have to invite your presence to be here because you're here. This is kind of the, this is the New Testament concept that Jesus leaves and the spirit comes and that God is with us. And Jesus promises us before he leaves, lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. So often what's encouraged me in moments when I'm like, God, man, where are you? This is hard. I remember, oh wait, God, you're always here. You're always present. And really sometimes it's a journey of us learning to see, learning to listen. This can be difficult. This can be challenging. But I think worthwhile. Because in those moments, often I have found, man, God, you'll show up in ways that I did not expect. You'll show up in nature. You'll show up in something that someone has said to me, an encouraging word. God, you'll show up in a song in those moments when I feel like the enemy is wearing down. If I just pause, say, okay, God, you're here. Let me look for you. Let me have an awareness. Let me begin to start looking. Something often, not always, but often will shift. Now, I want to shift briefly Because we cannot end a conversation about enemies without discussing the enemy. It's important for us to note that though God does not take sides with or against who we deem the enemy is, Jesus makes it clear that there is an enemy who is the enemy of us all. Now, there's much more that could be said about this enemy. But I think the most important snapshot we find in uh, Jesus's battle with the devil in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. And something you'll, you'll note if you read this th- through this, this struggle, which I encourage you to do, Matthew chapter four, it's an interesting back and forth between Jesus and the devil, where the devil seems to be quoting almost scripture to Jesus, and he'll kind of goad him on with these, these quotes with just like a subtle tweak, often a tweak of intent or a sudden shift, which seems to be in, char- in line with his character, because we see the same thing happen in the garden, right? In Genesis, where he's like, man, did God really say Did God really say? So often we see the devil doing these subtle tweaks. And what's interesting is what we see Jesus do in response is he actually combats the devil with truth. The devil comes to Jesus with lies, subtle, tiny, small, 
little lies. And Jesus, every time his strategy combat, to combat the devil is always true. This is important, I think, because if you were like me, perhaps you grew up in a home, in a context where the devil was often emphasized. For me growing up, often the devil was emphasized as sort of this villain behind the scenes of essentially everything in some way. And often I remember growing up and it was said, man, we need to be careful because maybe the devil's in that or maybe the devil is behind this or maybe the devil, he's trying to do some sort of game. So we need to always be in the lookout where the devil is. We need to be watching out for the devil everywhere. We need to be cautious, looking, where is the devil? Keeping our eyes on where the devil is because we don't want to be where the devil is. So we need to, we need to try and look for where the devil is. Essentially, it becomes this interesting situation where we are sort of looking for the devil, which is, which is a little intriguing. Because then we find our attention, at least for me, I found, my attention began to be focused on, man, man, is the devil behind this? Is the devil in this song? Is the devil in this movie? Is the devil in this, this? Is the devil, is it? And for me, I remember it becoming a thing where all of a sudden now my attention is focused always on the devil. Well, it's interesting about Jesus' strategy in combating the enemy, the devil, is not to constantly focus on the devil. It's not to constantly focus on what the devil is doing. Not to constantly focus on what evil is doing, but to simply speak the truth. One of my favorite authors, John Mark Homer, he speaks to this. He has a quote that I really, really love. He, sees, he says, Jesus sees our primary war against the devil as a fight to believe truth over lies. And friends, I don't know how true that is. I, there's a, John Mark Comer has this book. Maybe you've seen it or heard of it, read it. It's called Live No Lies. And uh, that's where this, this quote comes from. He talks a lot in this book about the idea that one of the main strategies, if not the main strategy the devil uses in the world is not often what we might see in a horror movie, you know, with all these crazy, you know, displays of demonic power or something like that, but rather simply lies. That the devil's main power is lies. And I think this is important to recognize and talk about simply because I think oftentimes the question that arises, at least arose for me as I grew up in a space that emphasized, man, what is the devil doing? Was man, how do I then protect myself from the devil? What do I need to do to protect myself from the devil? What's the, again, as we talked about before, what is the transaction? What's the little thing, the mechanism? What do I need to do to be protected from the devil? Do I need to like, you know, do I need to make sure I pray before I go into a movie theater because maybe my guardian angel leaves? Like, what do I need to, to do in order to avoid the devil? What do I need to do to be protected? How do I fight? the devil? What's the main strategy or way to combat? And what we learn from Jesus and what John Mark talks about is really that the power to fight the enemy, the power to fight evil is just truth, is to speak the truth. Now, this is is a topic that's heavy on my heart today just because um, as many of you know, there's recently been a death in our community. My friend, Pastor Michael's friend, Brian Sellers, ended his life recently. Um, and he's not the first person that I have known that has ended their life due to struggling with mental health. 
mental, mental health and suicide in general are passionate topics for me simply because I've struggled quite a bit myself with mental health, with depression, fighting the darkness. And oftentimes what I've found in my fight with the darkness is that often I end up believing lies, which is so interesting. The darkness will come, I'll be struggling, you know, I'll be alone, and I'll begin to believe things that are simply not true. They're just, they're actually aberrations. They're actually straight falsehoods. So I'll be alone and I'll end up believing, man, if I was gone, no one would miss me. Or I'll end up believing, man, nobody cares about me. There's no one who loves me in the world. Or nothing I do could ever matter. Nothing I do could ever be good enough. No one would ever notice if I disappeared. These things that are blatantly false and yet they have so much power at times. And oftentimes, for many of us, we end up believing lies like this. Man, nothing I could do could ever make me lovable. I could never be enough. And what's interesting about Jesus is the way that he fights the devil almost seems to, to suggest that these thoughts that often we have, these lies, are actually not our own thoughts. But this is the way the devil actually fights us in the world. It's not often with moving things around the house or, you know, levitations or these like horror movie things, you know. But rather, it simply lies in the battle of the mind. And what Jesus does every time the devil tries to do this is he just speaks the truth. So it's been an invitation to me, this story of how Jesus fights the devil, he combats him. It's been an, sort of an, an inspiration to me for in moments of darkness, when all of a sudden lies will appear in my head. Say like, you should probably just disappear or you should, you, you could never come back from this. You could never recover. As soon as those moments happen, I have to catch it and say, actually, that's not true. There's always a chance to come back. There's always a chance to start again. Actually, I'm so loved. Actually, I have such a strong community around me. Actually, I have so many friends who love me. Actually, there's always a new beginning. And I, I love the way that Jesus fights lies with truth. It's a reflection of, I, I think it's a reflection, at least this is what I see in the text, it's a reflection of what the commander of the Lord's army says to Joshua in that encounter, right? Because Joshua, he's about to face this enemy, Jericho, and the commander comes to him and he says, essentially, man, I'm not for you or for the enemy. I have my own agenda. I have my own purposes. I have my own plans. I'm leading you, but according to my will. The question then, rather, it's what he seems to imply is the question rather is not, am I for you or for the enemy? No, the question rather is, who are you for? And this is a reflection, I think, of what, what Jesus constantly does all the time. He's always making it personal. He's always, it seems, in every, most of his encounters with people, he's always making it personal right? Story of the Good Samaritan. Man comes to him and says, hey, what should I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you about this story about this group of people that you hate personally, where the person that, the group of people that you hate personally is the hero. And let me just encounter your racial bias. Same thing with the, right, with the rich young ruler. He comes to him and says, man, what, what must I do to be saved? I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus is like, well, have you, you know, you've done this, this, this. He's like, yeah, I've done all those things. He's like, okay, well, you know, all your riches, the thing that you love the most in the world, give it away. Right? Jesus is always making it personal. And here we find the same thing is true when it comes to facing the enemy. 
Jesus says, the question is not whether, is whether or not I'm for you or for who you deem as enemies. I'm for everyone. I'm for everyone and I'm against the enemy. The quest, more important question, almost as if to say, that's the wrong question. One of, my, one of my good friends, he often will say, man, sometimes we actually think we're asking the right question, but it's actually the wrong question. So Jesus, in response, he says, no, that's actually the wrong question. The right question is not who, who am I for? The right question is, who are you for? Who are you for? Are you for me? Because I'm for everyone. So are you for me? And man, this question, just to be frank, friends, this question's convicted me this week. Because that's hard. It's hard to just be consistently for God in the world. And yet he's consistently for us. I remember when I, my dad was, uh, he was teaching me to drive when I was 18. I was a bit of a late bloomer. <laughs> my dad was teaching me to drive. And I remember one of the things that he told me, one of the most important things, crucial things that I never forgot. That's actually helped me recently <laughs> as I was driving was Hey, when you're driving into oncoming traffic at night and the lights are really bright, don't look at the lights of the car that's coming towards you because it'll blind you. There's no way. You won't be able to see. It'll be too powerful. And then you'll probably crash. Rather, instead of looking at the lights of the car coming towards you, look at the line on the side of the road. Look at the line. Always look at the line. And man, that helped me recently. I was driving home a couple nights ago. And you know those cars with like those newer lights that are just like death? <laughs> They're so bright. His brights weren't even on. And I come up, come up the hill, all of a sudden the sun itself comes over. <laughs> <laughs> the crest and I'm like oh and then I remember what my dad said when I was learning to drive always look at the line because the line will always be consistent the line will show you where it's going don't look at the enemy look at what's consistent and so I think the same is true for us man oftentimes it can be so easy to look at what is facing us down whether that's the stuff of life or the enemy himself it can be so, so tempting to be like, man, but the adversary is so huge. It's so big. It's so overwhelming, so powerful. There's no way. And yet Jesus, what he does in the face of the enemy is to just speak the truth. So I encourage you, speak the truth over your life and get around people who will speak the truth over you. Because that's so important. Sometimes we can't do it on our own. I know for me, sometimes I haven't been able to. and I need to call a friend. I have a couple of really close guy friends that I call when I can't do it anymore, you know? And I call and I'm just like, yo, I can't do it. And they just speak the truth over my life. Hey, remember who you are. Remember that you're loved. It's so crucial. So why don't we do that? Why don't we all stand together? Why don't we speak the truth over our, over our lives today? I'm going to speak the truth over you.
Let's confess it. Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us. God, at times we are tempted to believe the power of the enemy is too great. God, at times we are tempted to believe there is no way we could overcome. God, at times we are tempted to believe that the enemy is too powerful, too strong, the darkness too heavy. Yeah, God, in those moments, I confess today that we will remember the truth. God, that we are loved by you, that we are your sons, we are your daughters. God, you never leave us or forsake us, that your presence is a promise, that you sent the Holy Spirit to be with us wherever we go. God, that even if we, we forget to invite you, we forget to pray, God, you're there. You're with us every time. And so God, we just remember these things today and we confess them in the name of the one who came and he died and he rose, defeating the enemy. We pray this in your name. Amen.